When does holiness cross paths with sin? The attribute of attributes of God is this, His holiness. It means He cannot shortcut His demands for justice, for the payment of sin. He did it in such a way that man has nothing to do with it, yet man gets all the benefits. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. That means everybody. God would do it. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Have you ever stopped to consider the number of sins man has committed throughout history and to think that there's still so much more to add to that pile? How many have you personally contributed? However, Pastor Xavier reminds us that there is someone who can wipe all, yes, all of them away. Stay tuned for a message of hope and grace in this continuing series from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Let's listen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. The message is entitled, The Coming King. Isaiah is a treasure chest regarding Jesus Christ from the very beginning. Our text reveals three elements about the Messiah. Let me read them for us. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let me give you the three elements about the Messiah and his future reign. First, the mystery of his birth in the first portion of verse 6. Then we have the majesty of his kingdom, the next line of verse 6 in all of verse 7. And then thirdly, the multiplicity of his office, the remainder of verse 6. So we're not going to take it exactly in the chronological order, but we've kind of restructured that for the sake of the categories. But let's begin here with the mystery of his birth. Notice, first of all, Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born. The proclamation deals with the child's humanity. He would be a man born of a woman. A man like you and I, yet perfect. Galatians 4, 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son made of a woman under the law. Born just like you. Nine months in the womb. There was a birth. Just like you. Yet Perfect. The promise of this child with divinity is throughout the Old Testament law in types. You know the law, the Old Testament. You have the, the lamb that it was supposed to be without blemish and without spot, and the, the priest would examine it. Then they lay their hands on him and kill it. It was an IOU to come. The word atonement in the New Testament means that one meant, means total, complete payment. So it was prophetic looking forward to that payment. But the law sacrifice spoke of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. The blood was the payment. Nothing but the blood. Leviticus is very clear. Apart from the blood, there is no remission of sins. I have given you the blood for an atonement upon the altar for sins. It is the precious blood of Jesus Christ, Peter tells us, that we are saved by and forgiven by. Not, not some ritualistic, mystical little beliefism, but it is a literal demand that God required of himself to make that payment. No one else can make that payment. 
The message that God gives to us is good news in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In fact, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. So he took God, his son's perfect life, and he took my perfectly wicked life, and he put it on his son's account, and he took his son's life and put it on my account. Now, who do you think got the best deal? That's the type of God that's proclaiming through Isaiah. In fact, Jesus is said to be God's indescribable gift. 2 Corinthians 9.15. Indescribable. Notice, secondly, the majesty of his kingdom is given to us in the next line there of verse 6, and then we'll move to 7. First of all, Isaiah says, regarding the majesty of his kingdom, that the government will be upon his shoulders. The fact of being on his shoulders is a symbol of magistrates who had a rod or a key laid on their shoulders representing the honor and majesty and authority they had. Now, he is going to be a, such an individual, Isaiah says, that when he judges, it's going to be absolutely great, perfect. And he'll share that a little more clear later on. The decree of Caesar to have Mary go to Bethlehem according to the census in Luke 2 was God's doing. God was in control. Now, the Jewish nation thought everything was out of control. But God was in control. He wasn't biting his nails. He, he, was, he was up there. And you might look at your life this morning. Maybe things are going on in your life that you're not absolutely too happy about. Maybe you're reaping some of the consequences from your, from your life before Christ. Well, hang in there. Trust God for him. Don't freak out. He's in control. He is sufficient for it. Don't bail out. Stay in the boat. The very arrest and crucifixion of Jesus was under God's control. You see, God the Father crucified his son for you and for me. And yet, he never violated the Jews' will or the Roman will, Pilate or anybody else, because God cannot violate a man's will. And yet, he works within that sinful choice and rebellion to accomplish his purposes. That's what makes him God. He knows the end from the beginning. Notice, secondly, Isaiah says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. His government will be progressive and eternal. Keep that in mind. The kingdom is present, but yet to come. God told Abraham from the beginning, as we said in Genesis 12, 3, that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed, Jew, Gentile. God ruled over Israel by choosing them uh, to be his people. He, he elected them by love choice, not because they were superior. God then gave birth to the church where he would make Jew and Gentile one, Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. From the beginning, he included that. And he knew that the only way Jew and Gentile could get along was to have the same sacrifice, the same sort of merit, the same quantity of coverage and atonement. And that means that no one could boast that all come on the very same basis, dead and trespasses and sins. We all come by faith, trust in Jesus. His coming is revealed in two aspects, as you know. 
In fact, Jesus, when he went into the synagogue in Nazareth in chapter 4 of Luke, verse 16 to 21, he picked up the scroll of Isaiah that was given to him, and he read out of it. It says, in this hearing, the first one of Isaiah 61, he says, in your ears, in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. And he closed it and gave it back to them. He declared his first coming. He didn't go on to verse 2, which declared his second coming. Only his suffering, not his reigning. So often as the scriptures, as we've seen, and we'll see in Isaiah again, short-term prophecy, long-term prophecy. First fulfillment, second fulfillment. In fact, the scriptures tell us that his authority will be completely submitted to, even to the place where none can rule their own lives. In 1 Corinthians 15, 28, all will be submitted to him. We don't see it as of yet, but we will one day everything put under his feet in the millennial kingdom. Right now, he gives us choice. You might be thinking you're in control of your life, and you can do what you want, and you've done pretty good, and after all, you're captain of your own ship, and if it goes down, you're going down with it, and you most likely will, but he doesn't want you to. See, when things are good, they're good in the world, aren't they? When they're bad, they're bad. And he wants to control your life. He wants to give you the wisdom so that you can make the right decisions, not based on money and popularity and, and, and getting ahead primarily, but that you might see yourself as you really are, a sinner in need of salvation, so that he can press you towards the kingdom, and he will add all those things afterwards. But the kingdom comes first. Notice thirdly, Isaiah says, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. The fulfillment of Scripture is twofold. Fulfilling as often as I said in the Old Testament. You remember when David was promised by God in 2 Samuel 7, 12 or 16, that he would build him a house and have an heir upon his kingdom? Well, of course, Jesus Christ is mentioned in the genealogy of Matthew 1 and Luke 3 that he was of the seed of David. And he said, listen, if you obey me, David, your kingdom's going to go. And your son, Solomon, if he sits on the kingdom and I'm going to put him there, if he obeys, they'll never lack an heir. But Solomon backslid. Then his son Rehoboam was a foolish young man. He didn't take the advice of the older men of Solomon, but the younger men. They said, relieve him of taxes, they'll serve you. He said, and his, the young friend said, ah, tell them that if they think your dad was bad, just wait till they get a hold of you. And so Israel rebelled. Jeroboam said, hey, we're out of here. We're up north. Ten tribes up north, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, led into idolatry, the calf worship. The two, Benjamin and Judah, remain in the south. Civil war from then on. The ultimate fulfillment was Jesus Christ, the seed of David. The immediate fulfillment was Solomon and Rehoboam. Now we have the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would pick that up. In fact, Romans 1.3 says that he was of the seed of David. What did the blind man on the side of the road before Jesus entered Jericho say? He said, son of David... Have mercy on me, Luke 18, 38. Son of David, a unique title of the Messiah. Notice, fourthly, Isaiah says, to order and establish it with judgment and justice. The kingdom will be a righteous kingdom. Isn't that going to be a fresh day? You get tired of the injustices that go on in this world? You get tired of the mistakes you make? <laughs> you get tired of repenting? I do. <laughs> I'd be glad when I won't have to repent no more. I'd be so good that I won't be able to mess up nothing. 
nothing will escape him. True justice, for he has perfect wisdom and cannot make a mistake. There will be no disputes about the judgments. There will be no petitions to a higher court. There will be no excuses accepted. Today, the society is so sick with their little philosophies of justification and excuses. The latest one is we're dysfunctional, we're codependent, we're enablers. Same philosophy, one string guitar. They used to say it in Jeremiah's day. When we get to Jeremiah, he'll say, you know, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and our teeth are on edge. See, it's because of my father what he did that I'm paying the price. It's not fair. Suck it up. You're getting just what you deserve. It's not your parents' fault. It's the lifestyle you've chosen. It's the consequence of sowing. It's the harvest coming reaping. All of us know that very, very clear. Notice fifthly, Isaiah says, from that time forward, even forever, the time would be according to God's plan. The Old Testament was prepared preparatory in shadows and in types to come. In fact, the New Testament says, in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the son made of a woman in Galatians 4.4. Right on time. God is always on time. Have you found that to be true? But we freak out at times, don't we? Oh, God, you only have three more hours. I got to have... You ever see Jesus running anywhere? Never running. Always right on time. The age of grace will have its closing time. Romans eleven twenty five says, when the fullness of time has come, the blindness will be removed from the blindness of Israel. God will remove his church and then he will begin to deal with the nation of Israel. The tribulation and great tribulation will be a horrible time. Revelation 6 through 19, such as has never been, the church will not be here. We have not been appointed to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Revelation 3.10, he has kept us from the hour of great testing upon the entire earth dwellers. I'm not an earth dweller. I'm a heavenly citizen. I'm a pilgrim and sojourner. I'm a child of God. I hold three citizenship. I'm a Mexican citizen, American citizen, and heavenly citizen. The two are necessary here right now. The other one will be forever. The first two will come to a close one of these days. He will reign for a thousand years, Revelation 20 tells us. Then after that, he'll have the eternal state, which we know very little about in Revelations 21 and 22. Whatever that is, is fine with me. But don't think you're going to be up in some clouds strumming some harp or something. It's only in cartoons. Notice lastly, Isaiah says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. This is the bottom line, people. The Lord Jesus would become man being God, by God doing it. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, Matthew one twenty. Jesus said, For I always do all those things that please the Father, in John 8.29. The offering of himself to God was as the Lamb of God without sin, John 1.29. Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. That means everybody. God would do it. The attribute of attributes of God is this, his holiness. It means he cannot shortcut his demands for justice, for the payment of sin. He did it in such a way that man has nothing to do with it, 
God has everything to do with it, yet man gets all the benefits. And no one can boast. And he never violated his holiness. Do you realize that God is in control completely of all that is going on in the world even now? We live in a scary world. We live in a scary nation. And yet he's in control. He's not responsible for the evil, but the evil cannot thwart the ultimate good that's going to come. He's not the author of sin. He's the one that has resolved sin. And he allows the world to continue in its fallen state. And then he seems, by his loving grace, to intervene at different times to bring about the ultimate purposes of God. So often we look at it and we think that, well, if God is here, then he must have caused this. No. The ultimate result of sin and the consequences move on. Man has fallen. And then he seeks to intercede and intervene at different times to bring about his purposes, never violating the free will of man. Perfect. Are you aware that he demands holiness? And he's also giving you the provision, 2 Peter 1, 3-4, a divine nature to escape the corruption of this world. You can live above sin if you walk in the Spirit of God and you grow in Jesus Christ. But if you don't, if you become complacent, you'll walk in the flesh, man. And you will lead it big time. Honest. None of us are exempt. God desires for you to live under the power of the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18, continuously, every day. To, be your, to have your mind transformed and your heart transformed. Romans 12.1 and 2, transforming your mind. Bring your thoughts into captivity, 2 Corinthians 4, 10, 4 through 5. You and I need to have our minds transformed every day, every day, every day I'm attacked, every, it's constantly the world, the flesh, Satan, everything else. I need to be transformed constantly. So the, the majesty of his kingdom, you see, is eternal. Is this true in your life? It can happen right now. If you're a Christian, that should be happening. If you're not a Christian, it can happen. As you call upon his name. Now notice thirdly here. We have the multiplicity of his office. Isaiah first of all says his name is called wonderful. Wonderful means extraordinary or marvelous. Secondly Isaiah says his name would be called counselor. And the word counselor means an advisor or to consult. Some have taken this with the preceding phrase wonderful counselor. But in the original it's, it's separate. But joining it together is, is incredible because it's wonderful counselor. He is the only one who can really give us that wisdom, really personify him as the wisdom of God, which the New Testament does. Even as Proverbs 1 through 9 personifies wisdom, so Christ is the personification of the ultimate counsel, the counsel of truth. He is a faithful counselor. Why? Because he points out our faults and he gives us the remedy for it. Jesus calls all to repent because we're all lost. No exception. He is the treasure chest of God's wisdom, Colossians 2.3. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him and him alone. Notice thirdly, Isaiah says, his name is called Mighty God. Jesus is God, evident by his name. We've already seen that. Jesus is the same name as Joshua, which is Jehovah Shua, Jehovah's salvation. He is perfect. He is sinless. He says, which of you convicts me of sin in John 8, 46? He is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, Hebrews 7, 26 says. 
No one like him. None. In fact, Jesus is God. Also by the declaration of people. Remember Thomas? My Lord and my God. John 20, 28. The Jews answered him and saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. John 10, 33. The Jews knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, I am God. Notice fourthly here, Isaiah says he would be called what? Everlasting Father, Father of Eternity. The fatherhood of Jesus in view of the nature of his work of redemption and love, for he is distinct from the Father. Don't confuse them. The Old Testament distinguishes the Godhead. In the beginning, Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God is Elohim. El is one. Elohim is a compound unit, three or more. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. Who's our? God and the angels? No. He made us in the image of God. So it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is from the beginning. The three persons of Godhead are distinguished very clear in the New Testament, not so clear in the Old, though they are there. Jesus said, I am the Father, I one. He who has seen me has seen the Father in John 10, 30. Notice fifthly here. Isaiah says his name is called Prince of Peace. The angels sang at the shepherd's field, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men in Luke 2, 14. Peace. In fact, he's made peace with God in, John, in Romans 5, 1. God's not at war with us anymore. He's made peace through Jesus Christ. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinance so as to create in him a new man between the two, Jew and Gentile, Ephesians 2.15. Jesus made Jew, Gentile, unheard of, one in Christ. You know why? None of them had anything to boast about. That's what makes us one in Christ. We come by grace or faith. One person described the loving way God met his needs this way. Beneath me, green pastures. Beside me, still waters. With me, my shepherd. Before me, a table. Around me, mine enemies. After me, goodness and mercy. Beyond me, the house of the Lord. That's good. Jesus is different from all other men. He's the only counselor that we might have rest in. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn of me. In him, no one else, not Buddha, not Krishna, not Muhammad, not anybody. Jesus being God is the primary source of our strength. If we don't depend upon him, we will fail. Remember Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he kept asking God to take his thorn of flesh away, and God said, my grace is sufficient, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul says, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I have to be so aware of my weakness every day, Christian, so I can depend upon him, because if I think of myself and I trust in myself, I will fail. Jesus is the only one that can give us eternal life. Jesus made this very clear in John 3, 36. He who has a son has life. He who has not the son has not life, and the wrath of God abides in him. It's only in him. Jesus is the message of the gospel of peace. Romans 10, 15. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tithings of good things. You see, the multiplicity of his office is to meet all our needs out of love. All of it. And so perhaps next time you read Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, you look at it a little differently. Remember these three elements about the Messiah, who is the reigning king. The mystery of his birth, 
is revealed by God. The majesty of his kingdom is eternal. And the multiplicity of his office is to meet all of our needs out of love. You can't get any better than that. We trust that you will call upon his name if you don't know him. And he will forgive you for all your sins. Pastor Xavier Reese, wrapping up some of the incredible attributes of the God we serve. Now, today's message, The Coming King, is available on CD for only $4. And this will also include what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together. So once again, the title to ask for is The Coming King, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Increasing crime, a declining economy, and growing problems in the Middle East. How do you keep the daily news from becoming the daily blues? Join Pastor Xavier Reese next time for the good news of salvation, right here on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com